And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It is Tuesday. Welcome to the program. We are live from the bunker. And it's it's going to be a short show today. We're catching up on some stuff. <laughs> My name is Jason Hud. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi For Me dot com, Sci-Fi For Me TV, Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Which is uh, all of the podcast platforms you can listen to this program. If you don't want to watch, that's fine if you don't want to watch, but sometimes you miss the visual aids that we use sometimes. <coughs> and uh, we've got uh, the live chat widget that's open if you're here with us live. I see some people in there. Keely's here. Cam's here. One Man Show is here. Good to see all of you here. Uh, buffering again on YouTube. Wow, man. And I'm not hardly doing anything today. That's that's troubling. So anyway, all right. So uh, yeah, we've got uh, live chats open. Comments are available if you want to leave one. If you're not here with us live, of course, social media you can connect with us there. Send us an email live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. Get on the Discord and join us there. I uh, said so we're gonna have we're gonna have a light show today. Uh, uh, Paul DeGarabedian, I uh, was hoping to get him on so we could talk Argyle and uh, and Apple, but uh, he's got work responsibilities. You know, those things kind of sometimes get in the way of things. So he is not going to be able to be here today, but uh, we will plan to have him. Uh, later on in the month, I do have I do have a very 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 busy month. I mean, look at this the calendar, the calendar for February is almost full. Look at that. And <coughs> excuse me, this programming note I do have confirmation. I have officially put it on the calendar. Official, officially official. February twenty first. Harry Turtledove will be here. That is official. That is locked on the calendar here and with them. So, so mark your calendar. March, uh, February 21st, Harry Turtledove will be here. In the meantime, we've got a lot of other stuff going on. I'll get into the calendar here in a minute. Um, give a shout-out to some of the different people who are listening uh, as a podcast, uh, it, there we've got listeners all over the world, and I am grateful. I'm happy to uh, have you with us. Those of you who are uh, in Japan and Australia and Germany and Canada and all all points in between. Uh, real quick technical note: I've been looking at at our hosting platform, which has had a glitch. 
that is not letting me see uh, the the map of listeners, or nor is it giving me the count of uh, how many downloads we've had. I I double checked, and it does look like the podcasts <clears throat> are actually streaming to the various different platforms. <coughs> Excuse me, they're 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 loading, so y'all aren't behind, fortunately. Uh, but yeah, we're, I'm I'm waiting I'm waiting to hear back from the hosting platforms why why I can't see anything. Uh, but in the meantime, they're still they're still going. So all of you who are listening to this as a podcast, um, you are more than welcome to send me feedback. Because here's here's what I want. I've I've made this request before. Here's what I want. What I would like. I'm not going to sit there and say you have to do this. What I would like to have in the way of feedback from those of you who watch or listen, either or. To send me an email, live from the bunker, it's i5forme.com, and let me know, because we've had a lot of authors since we've been back. We've had a lot of, of, of authors of novels as our guests. Tomorrow I've got a filmmaker, we've got some other stuff planned, but I, I would like to hear from you suggestions on people we should invite to be guests on the program. Now, I've, I've, sent, uh, I've sent a note to, to uh, Gabe Eltab for him and Dean Kane to come on to talk about his, their, their new comic book. We're talking about uh, doing a, an indie comics showcase, uh, kind of an open line, hit and miss, you know, come and go, here's my project and, and, and such. I haven't, got, I haven't got that all put together yet. <clears throat> and at some point, uh, we'll have. I want to get some. I want to get actors and other performers and whatnot and all that. I want to get a good mix. Um, but I also want to provide programming that appeals to you. That's that's of interest to you. So in order for me to do that, I'm going to do a little bit of market research here. A little, little, a little. Uh, focus group work that uh, that will help me uh, figure out exactly you know what to do here what best to do uh, with regard to uh, making sure that that you get what you want you get more of what you want all right one man shows his official I believe it when I see it also more buffering that's that's annoying that really is annoying all right. Cam says, not every show needs to be three hours. Well, yeah, but if we were to syndicate the program, and I know we're not going to, but that's the, it's, it's the talk radio listener in me. Go to, go to three hours. But we're not going to do three hours today because I've got two movies to watch. Um, I was going to watch one last night, and then I decided not to for a couple of different reasons. One, it was already late because it was on Comics Division's show last night, and it went long. And also the fact that it's a sci-fi thriller horror type of thing, and I'm, and I'm thinking that given the weird dreams that I've been having the last three or four weeks, I'm not sure that that's the last thing that I want to do right before I go to bed. So... When I get out of here, I will be watching because this afternoon, uh, this evening, <clears throat> I will be uh, recording a very quick interview 
with the star and the director of the movie Monolith. And it is a sci-fi thriller that's coming out here, uh, I believe it's coming this weekend, uh, in limited release. It's about a a journalist uh, with a podcast uncovering a strange artifact and alien conspiracy in the lies at the heart of our own story. So this is a... This is something that's coming. Uh, I will be talking to Lily Sullivan and Matt Vesely about this uh, about this film. That'll be recorded and uploaded as its own thing. So be looking for that as soon as I can get that done. So that's that's something I'm recording tonight. Then <clears throat> then I'm then tomorrow on the program, uh, Michael Litvak will be here, and he is the director of. Molly and Max in the Future, which is a sci-fi rom-com, and i got to watch that. Uh, so we are informed and asking good questions. Uh, but I'd like to get some more filmmakers on here. I'd like to get some more actors on here. We've, uh, we've sent some invitations to some people. So we'll see what we can see. I did send an email to the representatives for Bryce Dallas Howard. <coughs> Road Back in My Life says, I suggest once a month review of one of Dust sci-fi shorts. Maybe get one of their short filmers. That's not a bad idea. I have been looking at, at Dust. I haven't had a chance to really watch a whole lot of stuff that's over there. Um, but I um, I think that they're doing some interesting work. And I think that's a good, that is a, that is a good suggestion. So I'm going to write that down before I forget it. Because I have uh, I have thought about that before. Dust channel. All right. Okay. Talk about Argyle. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me do this real quick first. Critical Blast Publishing. Uh, you guys, you guys probably know RJ over there. They have a new anthology that they're working on. Uh, the Fables Next Door. This is a new. Let me see if I can get this uh, in here to get that whole cover in. The Fables Next Door. Here's the cover. They are going to be uh, accepting submissions, reading for the next anthology. So from February 1st, it's going on now, through March 31st. Uh, Their publishing target is May of 2024. Critical Blast Publishing will be opening their reading period for the first volume. In the Fables Next Door Anthology Collection, looking for stories that involve characters from recognized fairy tales placed in a modern setting where normal people meet and interact. All genres welcome as long as the theme is met. Uh, so they're looking for first serial ebook rights, $25 plus an author copy is what you get. And authors have the opportunity to purchase more books at cost. Uh, 2,000 to 10,000 words. So I will, uh, I will have this. Uh, I'll link to this. Anybody that's interested in this, we'll uh, we, we'll pass this along on our socials, uh, so you can see uh, that. <clears throat> okay, let's talk about Argyle for a second, because there's a bigger there's a bigger fish to fry than just Argyle's a bomb. And I know people have been talking about it, and and it's not doing well at the box office. <clears throat> but it's not being reported properly, I don't think. Let me explain why. So right now, according to 
the numbers Argyle has made not a whole lot of money. Let me pull this up here. I thought I had it. I, I thought I had that tab open, and I don't in this dozen or so that I have. All right, worldwide box office so far thirty four million seven hundred eighty thousand dollars. So it hasn't done that well. Now, what's being reported as its budget? $200 million is not not maybe quite accurate because here's what I'm hearing. We talked about this on, on Comics Division's show last night. The company Marv is the company what actually made this movie. Apple bought the distribution rights and put it into theaters. So Apple spent $200 million to acquire the film. But I'm hearing that that's not how much money was spent to make the film. What I heard, and I need to double-check this, is that the production company, Marv, only spent $100 million. So... Okay, let's go to this article in Variety. After Argyle bombs, can Apple keep spending $200 million on big screen gambles? This is Rebecca Rubin, February 5th. Apple has spared no expense with its embrace of movie theaters, shelling out $200 million to produce historical epics, war dramas, and action comedies, all while the global box office contracts and rivals scramble to tighten their budgets. For most studios, these expenditures would be ruinous at a time when hardly any movie is earning enough money to justify that kind of budget. As one of the deepest pocket companies in the world, though, Apple's spending habits in the entertainment space are jokingly called rounding errors. But can the tech behemoth keep spending big on big screen misfires, or will a string of underperforming blockbusters eventually force Apple to economize? That's the big question. After Matthew Vaughn's spy thriller Argyle bombed in its debut with $18 million domestically and a disastrous $35 million globally, it's the third consecutive Apple release where an outsized budget will make it nearly impossible for the movie to turn a profit in its theatrical run. A film of this size and scale at a traditional studio would need at least $500 million globally to break even. Fewer than 10 films in 2022 and 2023 have reached those heights. It's an especially unlikely benchmark for Argyle, since the action comedy starring Bryce Dallas Howard as a reclusive author whose spy novels end up being oddly prescient to real-world events, has been saddled with negative reviews and discouraging audience scores. Instead of fulfilling Vaughn's plans to turn the story into a trilogy, Argyle is shaping up to be the year's first flop. So, okay, <clears throat> so you've got Killers of the Flower Moon, which made $150 million globally. You've got Napoleon, $219 million globally. But that's not very, very good compared to a $200 million price tag. But they didn't spend $200 million to make the movie. Now, I get it. Apple's got deep pockets. Apple is going to do what Apple is doing, and Apple is concentrating right now on the whole iVision I Pro iHack I, I thing on your face. What's Apple's priority? That's my question. Because if Apple is spending all of this money on this, on this film stuff, 
this movie stuff, the theatrical movies. And remember, Netflix has come out since their since their film executive has left. I can't remember his name. Apple has or, or Netflix has come out and basically said we're not we're gonna we're not gonna do theatrical runs. We're a streaming service. We're gonna concentrate on streaming. It's gonna be here. We're not putting stuff up in the theaters, which is kind of a poke at, at Apple. But is Apple investing in this theatrical run programming <clears throat> for a couple of reasons? The only the only thing that I can think of why they would do it. One is the possibility that you get awards. I mean, Killers of the Flower Moon was nominated for a few things. That's that's marketing cred. That's value added to the product uh, to attract people to Apple Apple TV Plus. And that's what I'm thinking is they're they're investing in programs that can then run in movies that can then run exclusively on their streaming service in order to bolster that side of things. But I don't even know if that's worth the effort because is Apple making any money on Apple TV Plus? It's a subscription model, but we don't ever hear very much about how much, you know, how much they're making or how many subscribers they've got or how well it's performing. So it's kind of hard to tell. But is Apple making a good investment in spending all of this money on these films? Now, the flip side of that, too, we talked about this. You've got, uh, you've got films like uh, Anyone But You, for example. I keep going back to this one because it's a, it's a small-budget rom-com, and it's not part of a franchise, and it's not based on anything. It's, it's an original, one-and-done, self-contained film that tells, tells a story beginning, middle, and end. <clears throat> and it did not open well in December, but... It has legs. That's what we call in the industry. It has legs. It, it's performed adequately. It's performed measurably well every weekend since it's come out. There have been people that have gone to see it. And positive word of mouth is such that people keep keep going back and, and more people are seeing it. And over time, it's performing better than anybody expected it to be. So then... You have to wonder if you've got something like Argyle, which, granted, has a bigger budget and they've got a bigger hill to climb. But anyone but you, right now, worldwide box office is $151 million. And that's on what's reported as a $25 million budget. So they've made their money back. And they're they're getting into, into the black, into, into profit territory. And that's, how long has it been out? It opened, when did it open? Um, I mean, it only got six million its opening weekend. So it's, you know, it's grown over time. It opened December 22nd. So it's been out for a month and a half. Almost, yeah, month and a half. And it's just accumulated week after week after week after week. And now it's sitting at $151 million worldwide. Does that follow that maybe, I mean, you look here at the chart, it's performing well above 
where people expected it to. This this little shaded range down here is the projected box office based on the first week's performance. The first weekend, it was only doing $6 million. And everybody thought, oh, well, it's not going to do all that great. Here's this, here's this estimated space where we think the box office is going to be. And you look at the, the trajectory of the actual box office numbers, and it's ticking up, 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 way higher than it was projected. So... <clears throat> Does that leave open the possibility that Argyle, because the, the reviews from critics are one thing. The audience response has been decidedly mixed, but it's in two polar opposite extremes. There's not a lot of people that are in the middle going, eh, it's all right. There are people that really, really, really love it. And they enjoyed it, and they thought it was fun, they had a good time. And there are people that are just, it's hot garbage, I hate it. There's not a lot in the middle. So depending on how many of each of those dominates the space, Argyle could track the same as anyone but you. I don't know that it will. But what if it does? What if it, what if it says, you know, eh, it could, it could do better. Remember what George Lucas said when, when Star Wars first came out, he and he and Steven Spielberg took their families to Hawaii. Lucas wasn't paying attention at all that weekend. He's like, okay, the movie's out, it's done, I, I can relax. And Alan Led Jr. called him and said, it's a hit. We have a hit. It's doing great. It's doing gangbusters. And and George Lucas responded, it's just the first weekend. Science fiction films always kind of taper off from week to week. That second week, he said, let's see what it does the second week. And, of course, the second week, it was just as much a blockbuster. And the third week and the fourth week and for months on end. But Lucas is right. Certain genre films, if they're... If they're performing well the first weekend that's not necessarily an indicator as to what what it's going to do overall what if argyle does similar kind of box office next weekend and what if it does similar kind of box office the weekend after that what if word of mouth is such that it tracks the same as anyone but you or similar and granted it still, it still has a lot of heavy lifting that it's got to do in order to make its money back. But are you counting it against Apple's $200 million spend, or are you counting it against the $100 million that Marv spent to make it? What's going to be the measure of success there? Just ask. I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, we'll have to see how that tracks because I'm curious uh, just how much it's going to do in the long run, you know, week to week to week. Because um, I think we're going to see longer runs in the theater because 
the studios are not going to have as much content, as much programming, as much material this year because of all the strike stuff. They're behind. So let's leave let's leave these movies in the theaters a little bit longer and see what happens. Matween says Saw Argyle Sunday. It was entertaining Kingsman style action until Act Three, then it just got bonkers and face palmingly bad. Okay, let me let me let me say this one thing. <clears throat> if you look at it a certain way, it can be a cringeworthy, terrible movie. Yes, I will grant that. If you look at it a different way, if you if you lean into the ridiculousness, if you buy into that, then the whole thing plays differently. Because there are tropes, and the tropes are used for comedic effect more than anything else. And some other movies have done the same kinds of things. Maybe they've done them better. I've seen a lot of t- people talking about The Long Kiss Goodnight with Gina Davis doing the same kind of thing. But the chemistry between Sam Rockwell and Bryce Dallas Howard is there. And it carries the movie for me. I, I'm not saying that it's a great movie. I'm saying it was it was a fun, fun couple of hours. Now, it's a little bit longer than it could than it should otherwise be. And yes, there's a couple of pieces on there that are like, oh, okay, that's a little contrived, but you know, all right. But if you go in with the with the notion of but of course, you know, like I like I do with everything else on my bingo card. Every twist, every twist in that movie has a setup that retrospectively you can look back and say, oh, okay, this is coming from that point. This is coming from that moment. This twist happens from that that setup. And there isn't anything that's left on the table. And Matuin says, yeah, it was fun. I just rolled my eyes and laughed at two particular scenes. I the, the ending the the final climactic you know confrontation stuff was a little silly a little ridiculous mainly because at that point the the effects I was still kind of hung up with the wardrobe and makeup that they gave Bryce Dallas Howard to the last act because it was not flattering to her up until that point, it was okay. She's she's in mom jeans and and bangs. She looks fine. <clears throat> but then they did this at the end, with with you know the the skating and uh, okay. And the effects are half baked. They need a little bit more of a pass on on some stuff. But in some cases, if you look at it as as being in her head or the imaginings, or the the visualizations of the book that she's reading to people, then the, the visual effects don't have to be fully baked, because this we're, we're just telling the, we're just telling the story that's in the, that she's reading in the book. So it you know you have to kind of you kind of have to look sideways at a couple of things and just accept that the whole thing is ridiculous. I mean the the entire premise is ridiculous on the face of it. But it's done in a way that all of it kind of hangs together and, and 
it, it's fun. I enjoyed it. I, I had a good time. I would say I'd give it 7 out of 10. That's that, But that's just me. And it's not a... It, it was marketed badly. Yes, it was bait-and-switch marketing because Henry Cavill's not in it that much and Dua Lipa is not in it that much. I mean, what you got in the trailers is pretty much what you got. It's marketed as... Henry Cavill as James Bond light. And it is not that. It's also not some woke feminist bait and switch movie either. I've seen I've seen some complaints about that, the fact that, that Bryce Dallas Howard's character is elevated above uh Sam Rockwell's. But I I saw it a little bit differently, you know, because it's a partnership. It's not hero and sidekick. It's it's a buddy cop movie. It's buddy cop stuff. So you don't have the hero and the sidekick in a buddy cop story. You have two cops. You know, it's 48 hours. It's um it's it's man from uncle. It, Batman and Robin is not really the same because you know you've got heroes and heroes and sidekicks there. Batman and Robin, Kirk and Spock, they're partners. They're 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 equals. Beverly Hills Buddy Cop. <laughs> well, I mean, <coughs> excuse me. I mean, Beverly Hills Cop is kind of a buddy cop movie too, but there's three of them. It's same. It's same kind of dynamic. It's a it's a rom com. Spy, it's it's a spy thriller rom-com. If, if Romancing the Stone was a buddy cop movie, I guess. Maybe. I mean, it's it's fun. Go see it if you haven't. Go see it. <clears throat> Speaking of uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, here's some Jurassic World news. Uh, new Jurassic World movie gets 2025 release date to David Leitch. In talks to direct. Bullet Train director David Leitch is in talks to direct a new Jurassic World film for Universal. Currently untitled project is slated to release on July 2nd, 2025. David Kep, the original screenwriter of Jurassic Park and The Lost World Jurassic Park, will write the script for the film, which will be executive produced by Steven Spielberg through Amblin Entertainment. Frank Marshall and Patrick Crowley will produce... And David Leitch and Kelly McCormick will also produce through 87 North. Interesting that Frank Marshall is listed there and Kathleen Kennedy is not. Was she a producer on the other ones? I'd have to look that up. Kep's other scripts in his 30-plus-year 30 30 year screenwriting career include Mission Impossible, Spider-Man, Death Becomes Her, Pentagram. By the way, did you see Death Becomes Her is getting a, a stage production, a, a musical stage production? So it's only a matter of time before the musical stage production of Death Becomes Her becomes a movie. And we'll get the musical Death Becomes Her movie based on the musical Death Becomes Her stage play based on the original movie Death Becomes Her. I wonder how they're going to do the hole in the stomach effect. <clears throat> the f this film will mark the beginning. Here's your... Here's your, uh, here's your your answer to that, Mazerus. The last film was supposed to be the end of that arc. It was. 
This film will mark the beginning of a fresh storyline in the Juggernaut series, which has spanned three decades. It's not yet clear if any previous stars, including Chris Pratt, Bryce Dallas Howard, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, will return. So a brand new Jurassic Park storyline, Jurassic World storyline. David Leitch, uh, John Wick, Atomic Blonde, Fast and Furious uh, spinoff Hobbs and Shaw, Deadpool 2. Uh, he's also directing The Fall Guy, which is coming out in May. So there we go. Uh, we're getting a new... Getting a new Jurassic World story. Uh, Mazur says Kennedy was not a producer on any of the Trevorrow Jurassic films. Was she a producer on the original Jurassic Park set? That That's my question. So, Because if Frank Marshall is a producer and Kathleen Kennedy is not, that's an interesting note. That's all I'm saying. And it could very well be that, that that's just the way it is. You know, she was she was not on any of them, so I don't know. Anyway, uh, we've got another piece here. This is a new non-franchise thing, maybe. Uh, this is a movie that's currently in production. We've got Max Martini... Brianna Hildebrand, LaMonica Garrett, and Linda Hamilton uh, in the sci-fi movie Osiris. It's been in production, uh, quietly wrapped their shoot at the end of last year. XYZ Films has come on board for world sales on the project. Written by William Kaufman and Paul Reichelt. Directed by William Kaufman, who directed the channel. Uh, a team of special forces commandos are in the middle of an operation when they're abducted by a mysterious spacecraft. When they wake up aboard the ship, they quickly discover they're being hunted by a merciless alien race. Uh, it's, uh, we've got a first look image. Here's Linda Hamilton in apparently in uniform. Wait a minute. Okay, so Linda Hamilton is lead. Is she leading this special forces team? Um, okay. <laughs> Brianna Hildebrandt, uh, from Deadpool. She played, uh, uh, Sonic, what are, what, with the kid. Oh, Kennedy was a producer on the original Jurassic Park. Frank Marshall was not. Hmm. Interesting. So it looks like Linda Hamilton might be leading this special forces film. Like, that's realistic. <coughs> All right, so you've got Hildebrandt. Martini was in Pacific Rim, 13 Hours, Captain Phillips. Um, Hamilton, of course. So so this article here is about the uh, company coming on board to sell the film to distributors, to theaters and whatnot, to try, to try to find distribution deals for it. I'm not sure that I could buy Linda, Linda Hamilton as the leader of a special forces operation team, though. And if I'm looking at this photograph, let me see if I can blow this up. Look at this photograph here. There's Brianna Hildebrand in the back. And it looks like neither one of them 
are sporting short hair, which if you're in the military, and I I don't know what the current protocols are, but I would think that shorter hair would be encouraged, especially if you're special forces. But that's just me. I I'm layman's understanding here. I'm I'm but I don't I'm looking at this and I'm like, well, how how realistic is this going to be? I just 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 saying. I'm just saying. I don't know. It works or it doesn't. I personally am uh, happy that we're actually getting stuff that's not part of a franchise. Look, an original story that doesn't belong inside an IP that you have to do homework for to, to go and watch. So we'll keep an eye on this uh, Osiris project, uh, see, see where it goes, if it finds distributors or not. Uh, we've got uh, <clears throat> Tom Holland... Announcing his new project. He's going to star in the Western revival of Romeo and Juliet. Now. He's going to star as Romeo. Which is fine. If that's what you want to do. But uh, I, he's, he's a little old for Romeo. If you look at the original... Tom Holland will star as Romeo in a new version of Romeo and Juliet in the West End this spring. The play will be directed by Jamie Lloyd, director of the retooled Sunset Boulevard, starring Nicole Scherzinger, as well as the minimalist versions of Dollhouse, starring Jessica Chastain. Before landing the role as Spider-Man, Holland made a name for himself as one of the young stars of Billy Elliot, the musical, and the West End. So he's back on stage. Playing Romeo, Romeo, wherefore art thou Romeo? Rose by end of the name and such. Jonathan Majors, potentially facing, uh, facing prison time. Snob says Linda Hamilton is in Resident Alien as a general. Uh, well, okay, she's old enough that she could play a higher-ranking officer, like a general or a, you know lieutenant general, or admiral, whatever. But I don't, I just don't see her leading a special forces team. You want you want young people in that, and your seasoned soldiers like your captains and colonels and whatnot that are doing that. Those are people that are in their 40s, early 50s, maybe. Linda Hamilton is what, 60? She's pushing 70. I could see her as a general. I could see her as a general, but not, not in the field. Not like that. <clears throat> There's Baz showing up there. That's a name I haven't seen. I don't know. Welcome, Baz. Good to see you. It's a new name in the chat. I still need to do a thing. I, I need to get a gimmick. I need to have a, something that I can play, a little sounder that I can play whenever I see a name that I haven't seen before. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. That and I need everybody to record their high Todd so we can put that together. 
Uh, deadline, Jonathan Major's domestic violence sentencing delayed. Loki actor faces potential prison stint. This is uh, reporting today. Found guilty on domestic violent charges, violence charges late last year, Jonathan Majors will not be sentenced today as originally scheduled. Convicted of reckless assault and harassment in his trial back in December, Majors' sentencing was initially supposed to occur early this morning in New York City. That plan shifted first thing Tuesday as lead defense lawyer Priya Chaudhry opted to file various motions with the court today, court officials told Deadline. Set to address those motions, the hearing will now begin around 2.15 p.m. Eastern. Originally, Majors was supposed to be in the Manhattan courtroom this morning, but his appearance today will now be virtual. Once sentencing actually occurs, which could be later this month, the former Marvel actor is looking at anything from probation to a year behind bars as a first-time offender in a misdemeanor case. So there's that. And they're filing these motions, probably probably some kind of... of um, trying to get him out and keep him from keep him from being thrown in jail. His career is essentially over, I think. Um, certainly at Marvel, but I think uh, I think his career is is done. Uh, if it comes back, then it's going to be you know it's going to be the indie route, and he's just going to have to earn his place back in the in the thing. So. Yeah, Baz says Kang was never a great villain. I, I was not impressed with what I saw in Loki uh, that first season. I haven't seen Quantum Mania. I haven't seen Loki season two or wherever they're at right now. I don't know. I haven't watched I I, I I haven't I haven't had any interest. I haven't been I haven't been invested in this stuff. So there's that. Um where next? <clears throat> the reason I haven't been invested in this, in, in the Marvel stuff, is because of stuff like this. This is a, I don't know where this video comes from, but it's a compilation of various different writers in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, both in television and, and film, talking about the fact that they have not read any of the source material I was not very steeped in the comics. I didn't I didn't read any comics or do any research. I wasn't familiar with comics. I wasn't familiar with the movies. We didn't lean into a whole lot of the history of the comic books. Yeah, yeah. candidly, we were not enormous um, comic fans. I wasn't super into superhero comics when I was a kid. I read a lot of like indie press stuff. First thing I was told is don't read the comics. Really? As a creator, they put you in a bubble. They don't let you talk about any of the other projects, right? This this is this is probably you know we're halfway through this is 45 seconds. This is people in the writers rooms of all of these different shows. Black Widow, you got Jack Schaefer with Black Widow, you got Eric Pearson, a writer of Black Widow, you've got Mackenzie Mackenzie Vore at WandaVision. You have uh David Callahan's writer of Shang-Chi, Kaz Firpo, the writer of Eternals, Jessica Gao she-Hulk. I mean, She-Hulk was a disaster. Ali Salim, director of Secret Invasion. He was the one who said he got told not to read the comics. Malcolm Spellman, writer of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. 
Uh, Amy Rarden, the writer of Echo. And we start with her. That's right. You know, they're they're up for anything. We ultimately decided to redefine it for the series and thought that it worked uh, better for the story that we're trying to tell. Could you ever read the, did you, do you, you, you no. read the comic When the DVD comes out, I'm going to read a Thor comic book and just see where we went wrong. That's very telling. That's very telling. That's why the MCU is in the current state that it's in. Because there's no faithfulness to the source material. And uh, Mark Miller has uh, a, a good take on it. You know, he says, uh, such a shame. Oh, wait, why is it doing that? That shouldn't do that. He says, such a shame, contrast with the interviews from Ian McKellen, Sam Raimi, Chris Evans, and all the talent who talked about how much they were in service to the fans. They always made a point of how these were the people they sought to please most. He's right. The people that are in there doing things now don't care about the fans, don't care about the audience. And it kind of makes you wonder, what do they care about? Where does their loyalty lie? Uh, Sci-Fi Snob is, if you don't look at the source material, why not just make a new character? That's an excellent point. Matuine says, WandaVision turned out good. The rest is easily debatable. I will, I will push back a little bit on that, Matuine. I don't think WandaVision ended well. I think it was, it was an interesting premise. I think there was a lot of potential there. And it was starting to go somewhere. But the last episode completely ruins everything for two reasons. One, Wanda is revealed to have been the villain. Motivations aside, Wanda has been torturing an entire town for the whole of this first season of the show. And she is the villain of the piece and everybody is frightened to death of her you have what what have you done with our children wanda at the end of that is a monster because of what she's done to this town now she is allowed to leave because it's okay that she was a monster because she didn't mean to be a monster. She didn't intend to torture anybody. She's a grieving mother, except she's not really. She made her kids up, except they kind of weren't because in other realities that she's got them in, and contrived hokum or whatever. And then the second thing is that nothing in that series moves forward to her being the villain in Multiverse of Madness. Because the people who were writing the Doctor Strange movie did not watch WandaVision. They didn't know what that setup was. So when you get to that point, and yeah, she's skipping through all of these different multiverses looking for her kids, but there's nothing that ties it to what happened she just mentions, I do this one thing and I'm the villain. Well, yeah. You tortured an entire town. 
But they don't ever mention that in Multiverse of Madness. And Doctor Strange reportedly, rumor had it, that in that end scene where she's going through the dark hold and looking through the book and, and such, in that scene where the camera pushes into the to the building, the rumor had it that Doctor Strange was coming in to that to that scene to talk to her. And that was the begin that was going to be the setup for Multiverse of Madness. And that didn't happen. These things are so interconnected. That when you do something like that, that breaks that connection, especially with all of the stuff happening with pandemic, all of the all of the different films and everything was kind of thrown out of sequence. What what do we do? We'll push out whatever we finish first. It messes up the entire sequence of events. So, you know, you've got this carefully constructed narrative that now kind of falls apart because it's it's broken into pieces because of external real-world circumstances, and you can't adjust. And that goes back to your writing staff. If you, if you have writers in the room who don't have the chops to adapt to whatever circumstances there are, then you need other writers. And Kevin Feige being the mastermind and all this other stuff, right? Feige has to be a little bit more open to letting other people be in charge of some things. And and you have to have an overall plan, but you got to be flexible within that plan. Okay, if something happens, how do we adjust and how do we keep and and this need for everything to be interconnected and this need for all of these different stories to figure into each other ultimately sabotages what each director and writer is trying to do with that particular story they're trying to tell. Because you have to shoehorn in this connection to Spider-Man and this connection to the Avengers and this connection to Loki and that connection to Secret Invasion and this connection to Ms. Marvel. It doesn't all have to be connected. But if you have one thing that supposedly leads directly to the other thing, then you'd better have that connective tissue between the two stories or the people who are watching the movie that didn't watch the TV show are not going to understand why is Wanda the villain in this thing? Because not everybody who went and saw Multiverse of Madness watched WandaVision. Which is why the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is in trouble. <clears throat> Which is why Disney is in trouble. Because you have a bunch of people who are in charge of the various different divisions, the different studios, Marvel, Lucasfilm, Pixar, who are not focused on well-crafted storytelling. You have various different executives who are concentrating on the wrong thing. Which is why Nelson Peltz and possibly Elon Musk are looking to make changes at the Walt Disney Company. And it doesn't, it doesn't end with Tryon. 
we've got this article here because remember we got the we got the earnings call tomorrow afternoon. Blackwell's Capital. Now they've put up their own slate of nominees for the board of directors for the Walt Disney Company, separate from Tryon. <coughs> Excuse me. And they have a different idea of what Disney needs to be doing. Uh, Blackwell's Capital. Uh, while Disney is responding to an activist investor fight from Nelson Peltz and his Tryon partners, it's also fending off another push for board seats from a smaller activist firm, Blackwell's Capital, run by Jason Aintabi. Blackwell's filed its proxy statement Tuesday, also included a white paper proposing some ideas to transform the company. Disney has already urged its shareholders not to vote for Tryon's nominees, Peltz and James Rusulo, and urged a vote against Blackwell's nominees, uh, Leah Sullivan, Jessica Schell, and Craig Hatkoff. Uh, Blackwell's is now targeting both Disney's current board for lacking members with media experience and Tryon, which it calls a distraction. Uh, begging for board seats is not a strategy that will make any money for shareholders, Blackwell's writes of pelts. Perhaps most notably, Blackwell's has also issued a white paper with proposals for how to improve Disney, urging some substantial changes to its business. Among other suggestions, Blackwell's is urging Disney to consider spinning off its real estate holdings, including presumably Disney World and Disneyland, into a Reedy Creek, an REIT, uh, which it could leverage for cash. Blackwell's also suggests that Disney invest more heavily in virtual and augmented reality. Um, no, <laughs> a real estate investment trust. I, I don't, I don't think that that's probably the best way to go. I, I look, I have absolutely no idea on the financial side of things. I'm not an investment guy. We will talk about this on Thursday when Dan's here, but uh, I don't know that that's necessarily the best way to go. Uh, Stobb says, uh, Disney is too old and big to focus on VR. They need to wait and buy up someone who makes it successful. Uh, Mazur says, the Walt Disney Company is a publicly traded company with market capitalization of $161.4 billion as of June 22nd, 2023. I, um, I don't know that they're worth that much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Mazur says, I think Netflix or Apple are pretty poised to buy Disney. I Well, if Elon buys it, let's game this out. Elon just hinted, remember, remember how he acted before he bought Twitter. Should I buy Twitter? Should I buy Twitter? What do you think? Well, you know, what does the public think? Should I buy Twitter? I, th I think I should buy Twitter. Now, remember that big summit here a few weeks ago, you know, Bob Iger does his little speech. And and Elon gets up there and and tells all of these people that are not going to advertise on Twixer anymore, go f yourselves. And then he says, "Hi, Bob." I mean, he's he's clearly taking shots at Bob Iger and the Walt Disney Company with that. And then he meets with Nelson Peltz over the weekend, and he spends time with Peltz and his family at this screening, this red carpet premiere thing of, of the movie Lola, and says to people, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just here with friends, thinking about companies to acquire. You know, he's, he's being cheeky. He's wearing the same bomber jacket that he was wearing when he gave that speech the, at, the, at the media, the, the summit thing from a couple of weeks ago. 
He's clearly sending signals. And the fact that he's standing with Nelson Peltz and his family for a photo op, that's a shot at Disney. I think, uh, at the very least, Musk is considering some kind of a partnership with Peltz. Whether that means I'm going to buy up a bunch of shares, I'm going to make an offer, or if he's just lending his support to the proxy war for on, on behalf of Tryon, who knows what that looks like. But here's my prediction. I, I've made this prediction last night on, on Comics Channel, on Comics Division's channel. I made this prediction yesterday. What's going to happen is this. You're going to get the earnings call tomorrow afternoon, Wednesday afternoon, earnings call. It's going to go for an hour. They're going to say really nice things. Yeah, we faced some challenges, but we've met our challenges. It's a rah-rah speech, right? And they will very carefully, I bet, they will very carefully vet the questions that come during the Q&A session on that. You might, get a, you might get a spoiler or two that sneaks in there, but for the most part, you better bet they're going to be very careful on who they let into the Q&A. They may, not, they may not take questions from anybody other than the financial establishments. Because I think they're scared. And then the trades and all the media are going to put all their, all their press releases. They're going to they're run with all of these stories that you know pat the Disney company on the back because they're all part of the club. And they're going to say nice things about Bob Iger despite the fact that he's come under fire for the things that he said during the strike. And the fact that he's made what, $31 million himself when when others are not making so much. And all that's going to be okay. All, everything's going to be fine. Bob's going to fix it. All of these different stories out there lauding and praising, you know, yeah. and then Elon Musk will drop a shoe on Thursday afternoon or Friday morning. That's my that's my prediction. It might wait until Monday. But if you do it, usually, if anybody wants to sneak something in so it doesn't make the news cycle, you wait until Friday afternoon after 5 o'clock. And that way you, you get past all of the all of the late editions, and nobody can report it as breaking news because you don't have a whole lot of stuff going on over the weekend in terms of programming. But what if, what if he drops something Thursday afternoon or Friday morning? That gives everybody plenty of time to cover it in the news. And it would, I could, I could see him waiting until Monday let the hubris percolate a little bit. Yeah, well, maybe I think we're going to be okay. And then, bam. I don't know that he'd wait that long. I don't know that he'd wait until Monday. I, I'm going to give it until Monday. We're going to have a window here. Somewhere between Thursday afternoon and Monday. I'll, 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 be, I'll be generous that way. But I think it's going to be earlier rather than later. I think somewhere Thursday afternoon or Friday, we're going to get something. And it, it might be from Elon Musk. It might be from Nelson Peltz and Tryon. Some shoe is going to drop. And Bob Iger is not going to be happy with it. It will be something that 
they don't want you to know. And in the meantime, coincidentally enough, we will start to see more stories like this one. This is Deadline. Gary Lineker says X has become increasingly toxic and he barely uses it anymore. Now, I don't have any idea who this Gary Lineker guy is. He's from BBC. This is, uh, this is Deadline. Gary Lineker, the Match of the Day host, whose solitary tweet led to dozens of fellow BBC presenters and staffers downing tools for a weekend last year, has said he barely uses X, formerly Twitter, anymore, as it has become increasingly toxic. The former England international soccer player who has generated plenty of recent headlines due to his social media use, told a gathering of journalists that changes to Elon Musk's platform, including subscribers being given blue ticks if they pay a fee, has led him to virtually quit X due to his mental health. Oh. Now, one, that is uh, an indictment in the trades, an indictment on Twixer, because it's a toxic environment and it's bad for their mental health. But it's also an indictment of anybody who has paid for their blue check mark. And it's funny because uh, I saw a conversation over there between Neon at Clownfish TV and that umbrella guy. And they're talking about how people are complaining about paying for Twitter. And Tug actually made a point that I had not considered from, from a particular perspective. He says, you're not paying for Twitter. You're paying for reach on Twitter because Elon's made it very clear that if you pay, then your the stuff you post, one has a chance to actually get monetized and make money. So you, so you could start you could start generating revenue with the stuff you post on Twitter. But two, you have uh, extended reach you your your stuff will be seen by more people if you're paying for this blue check mark you're paying for the privilege but that's an interesting way of looking at it you're paying for the reach on twixer not paying for accessibility you know the access to twixer you're paying for more people to see it which now has me thinking it's worth the eight dollars a month i don't know we'll have to see i'll have to talk about it with our cfo but I expect the timing of this article is not a coincidence. And I expect to see a number of these in the next few days, especially after seeing Musk and Pelts together. Just guessing. I'm just saying. Because it's going to be that way. Because the cancel cult is losing control. They're sitting there and they are losing their ability to censor things. Now, granted, Mike Benz is talking about all of the stuff with the government and AI tools and all this other things and how they're trying to censor everything. And now we're coming out to find out that the, the Biden administration was pressuring Amazon to remove books off their catalog, any books that were either critical of lockdown and, and, and vaccine stuff or anything having to do with the election and politics. 
emails are out and you have Amazon people saying, are they telling us to remove these books? That's censorship, people. And if the federal government is pressuring companies to censor, that's a violation of the First Amendment. I mean, you talk about a, a constitutional crisis. This whole this administration is a walking constitutional crisis. Everything. And I am curious to see what happens when Alaska plays against Texas in the border bowl. That's all I'm going to say. But meanwhile, <coughs> you have the keyboard warriors, the cancel cultists, all having conniption fits and getting the vapors over various random different things, including the design of characters in different, uh, different video games. Because Western video games and Japanese video games, apparently the designers have very different notions of what it is uh, that is considered attractive when it comes to your female characters. And you've got this one now. Uh, Stellar Blade is making comments in response to people wanting to, to cancel this character Eve. This <sighs> sounds like, okay, hold on. All right, so this is, uh, is PushSquared.com, the article. Sammy Barker writing this yesterday. A chunk of Stellar Blade's online discourse has, has I'm assuming, is Stellar Blade the game name? Is that the name of the game? A chunk of Stellar Blade's online discourse has revolved around the PS5 exclusive releases buxom protagonist Eve with social media scuttlebutt suggesting the character is based on real-life South Korean model Shin Jae-yoon. We've been searching for confirmation of the Instagram star's inclusion for several weeks now, so we went directly to the source, asking game director Hyung Tae Kim if the rumors are true. And he says this, Yes, we did base the character of Eve on the model Shin Jae-yoon, he confirmed. We thought that her body shape would be a good reference for the character that we were pursuing. But the face was created originally in-house. It's just the body of the model that we scanned for the game. And there you see there a photograph of the young lady who actually looks like a young lady. Asked why the team settled on Jae-yoon as the game's model, Kim elaborated, quote, Of course, it depends on how you define beautiful bodies. <clears throat> but for us, we wanted to come up with the most attractive-looking body for the user, so this is why we made the decision to work with her. Shift Up is, of course, known for its smartphone sensation Nikkei Goddess of Victory, which is one of the biggest mobile games in Asia. For those who don't know, the third-person shooter uh, features a variety of different anime-style ladies, in all manner of eye-catching outfits, many of which leave little to the imagination. They got a video uh, video here of her getting scanned. Uh, Kim says there will be around 30 different costumes to unlock for Eve in Stellar Blade, all of which will be obtainable through gameplay. Uh, you earn some by completing quests. Others can be purchased from an in-universe shop using virtual currency. The developer stressed that none of these outfits will require additional purchases. So, no microtransactions? Microsoft, are you listening? Are you are you are you paying attention here? Uh, 
But see, this is the kind of thing that you hear all of these people are complaining about. Why is why is she why is why are you sexualizing this character? Well, she's a good-looking woman. Why not? I mean, it's not that they're sexualizing her. Like, you're, you're I, I don't know what the game Stellar Blade is. I imagine it's, you know it's an action first-person shooter. Okay, but. I, it's it's perfectly fine if your female characters look like females and are attractive somewhat. I mean, they're, they're computer-generated models, but why not use... This goes back to the... Uh, what is it? Mary Jane in the latest Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Man video game. You know, the, 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 the young lady who did all of the motion capture acting... For the character, she's rather attractive, and the character is not. Uh, Mary Jane in the video game looks like she got hit with a box of rocks. And there was a couple of other video game uh, characters that have been uh, highlighted and compared to the the women who actually played them in motion capture. They don't they don't look anything like them. Not much, anyway. Cam says, no complaints. Kennard says, I love Korean girls. But you're seeing this pushback. And in the dubbing, the localization of the dubbing and the AI, and I started to see something. There was, a, there was something, uh, some company that was pushing back we're a Japanese video game company making a Japanese video game for our Japanese audience. Why would we? Why would we kowtow to the to the American, you know, the Western uh, mentality or whatever? It was a good pushback. I have to, I'll have to look for it. Cab says, "Who needs Mary Jane? We've got Black Cat. Fight me." I, I'm not going to argue. Mary Jane and Black Cat are both portrayed in the comic books as rather attractive women. But we're seeing we're seeing more of this. We're seeing push and I've talked about this. We're we're going to we're pendulum is swinging back to center. But here's something. Here's something. I never thought I would say. And 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 this actually came up I think we were talking about it on Comics Division's channel last week. Because you know all of the all of the fact that we were talking about with, when they were talking about George Carlin's you know the whole AI George Carlin thing and Carlin's family came out and says this is terrible stuff this is not respectful of, of George and we were talking you know comedy is dead you can't do comedy you got Dave Chappelle out there and you got Ricky Ricky Gervais who did the the thing at the Golden Globes and and took everybody down you know scorched earth. Here's something I didn't think that I would see. But remember, my bingo card is, but of course, this is Deadline. Andrew Dice Clay is back. And I know this, is, this has nothing to do with science fiction or genre. This has everything to do with culture, with the pushback, with the, the pendulum swinging to center. I'm going to end with this today. Andrew Dice Clay, the latest to join Eddie Murphy in Amazon MGM's heist comedy, The Pickup. This is from director Tim Story. 
Others in the cast, Pete Davidson, Kiki Palmer. The film is billed as a heist comedy, though specifics as to its plot remain under wraps. At the time of release, it'll become available to stream on Prime Video in more than 240 countries and territories worldwide. But the fact that they're adding Andrew Dice Clay to the cast. Yeah, and you've got Shane Gillis, who's going to be hosting Saturday Night Live. Yeah, Kennard says the dice is woke and now looks like a 100-year-old grandpa. But also consider the kind of humor that he was known for in, in back in the day. He would have never been able to get away with it in the last five, six, eight years. Cancel Cult would have gone after him with a vengeance. Now, he may have toned down and he may have moderated his his brand of comedy, but that's... Just something I saw that and I thought, Andrew Dice Clay is back. Who would have guessed? Who would have thought that something like that would happen in 2024? I don't know. The world is healing at the same time it's descending into World War III. And Civil War II. I guess it all depends on when you look at it. Remember, politics is downstream of culture. Yeah, Matt Sweeney wasn't on my bingo card either. I But I said, my bingo card is one square. It says, but of course. That's my, that's my 2024 bingo card. <clears throat> okay, I will leave you with this. William Shatner posting over on Twixer. Today is Safe Internet Day. He says, let's uh, tackle cancel culture. You don't have to go along with the crowd. And he's leaving. He's, he's posted a PSA from a company called Cybersmile.org. And I want to I play this uh, because it's, it's a very effective spot, I think. Uh, let, me, let me full screen it here. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's a little loud. I'm going to full screen it here so you can, so you can watch this. And, uh, and give a listen. In Salem, we sentenced so-called witches to death. There was nothing they could do or say. The mob decided. Mob justice isn't new. It just got a tech upgrade. This is a very effective spot. Let's make mob justice a thing of the past. In Salem, we... Very effective spot there. I don't know anything about the Cyber Smile Foundation, but uh, Shatner is, is uh, sharing it, so I'm assuming that he's vetted it a little bit. So that's where we will leave it today, folks. Don't let the cyber mob get you down. Don't let the news get you down. There's always going to be, uh, there's always going to be better days. We just might have to go through some crap to get there. So anyway, all right, I will leave you with that. Uh, I got, I got tons of stuff that I got to do. Let me, let me run through this here real quick. The rest of the, the rest of the of the week. Michael Litvak here on Wednesday. 
Dan Danford will be here on Thursday. We're going to talk about the Disney earnings call. Next week, Jason Tolbert, Tim Akers, uh, M.K. Lobb, all of these uh, people are authors. We're going to be talking about their stuff. On the next week, the 20th, David Levine will be back. Harry Turtledove on the 21st. Christopher Riocchio on the 22nd. Uh, Chris Condon on the 29th. Aaron Carraver. Uh, on the 28th, we're, we're, we're almost full. February is almost full. And if we can keep going like this, I think we're going to be doing some good stuff. Uh, March is still, March is still kind of open, but we're going, we are, we are hot to trot. So, so stay tuned. Keep it here. Same bat channel, same bat time tomorrow, 1 PM Eastern. Uh, and, uh, we will have. Uh, Michael Litt back on to talk about his new movie, Molly and Max in the Future. And then the Disney earnings call. Should we should we live? I don't think we're going to live stream the the Disney call because uh, everybody's going to be watching Valiant Renegade and WWW Pro. It's not even going to be worth it for us to do any kind of a stream. But I will be watching it. I'll be taking notes and we'll be talking about it on Thursday. All right. That's it. Thanks very much for being here. E. Clay Thomason in the chat says, great show. Have a good day. Good to see you there, E. Clay. Um, stream Snipe Valiant. Yeah, I don't know about do that. We'll see. Well, we got we to gotta figure out some other stuff. So anyway, that's it, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Go find something else to do. You can't stay here. Remember, the politicians hate you. The media lies to you. But God has a plan for you. And I don't say that lightly. I mean that. This is not just some pithy little thing that I say. God does have a plan for you. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2024, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio.